0: All right, round two. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. It is so good to have you. This is the first service of a brand new year. And I don't know about you, but I am so excited for 2018 and all that it has in store, even though we don't know what that's going to look like. And today is a really exciting service for a number of different reasons. First and foremost is that we are celebrating baptisms this morning. And if you've never been a part of a baptism service, this is going to be a treat for you in so many ways. But I love baptism service. You may hear about me talking about baptisms for the next few weeks, just throwing them in the message because uh, it's such an exciting thing in the life of a church to be able to celebrate a baptism because really, a baptism is like the cumulative expression of this transformation that has taken place in someone's life, and this morning we get to be a part of celebrating that with some of our people in this community, and so we're excited about that. But secondly, we're excited about this brand new series of messages that we're beginning that is called Stress Less, and, uh, and really, in, in so many ways, this is a continuation of what We started talking about last week, and last week was a service where we tried to integrate some margin for you throughout the course of your week. We wanted to create a little bit of space in service so that we could have time to reflect on what this last year has meant to us and how we want to position ourselves as we enter into 2018. And one of the things that we did, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, this is a reminder, and then also just to let you know, what we did last week is uh, we took some time at the end ...of the message to create that space and we had two index cards. One index card was for you to write down that one thing in your life that you wanted to leave behind in 2017. That one thing that you no longer wanted to be part of your rhythm. One thing you didn't want to be a part of your habits or your life and you're going to write that down and what we did is we set that thing on fire... And then we got real nervous that we were going to set off the smoke alarms in here. So we took it all outside. But that was like the symbolism of what that one first card meant to us. And then secondly, what we did is we asked you to come back inside. And on that second index card, we wanted you to write down that one thing that you wanted to see God do in your life in 2018. And for me, the word that I wrote down was focus. I wanted God to help me to have greater focus in 2018 because as I started reflecting, I thought about like all the things that cause stress in my life or anxiety in my life. And I feel like distraction is the single greatest thing that causes me to be anxious when I know that there's something that needs to be done and I'm distracted by something. And then after the fact, I feel like there's this cumulative buildup of anxiety when I'm not focused on the things that I feel are the most important to me. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what words you would use to describe the source of your anxiety or your stress But I'm assuming that because all of us live in the Silicon Valley, in some way or another we experience that. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you drive out of, you physically just drive out of the Bay Area and all of a sudden some of the pressure begins to lift. And I think that that is like a cultural thing. That happens to me all the time. If I drive to Santa Cruz, slowly the pressure starts to lift. If I drive to Bakersfield, there's like a slower pace of life and the pressure starts to lift. And I think that that is tied to like this cultural epidemic in the Silicon Valley where we are like part of this fast-paced community, this high-pressure community, high-expectation community. And there becomes like this thing that creates weight and pressure. And maybe for some of you, it's traffic. Right? You have like a long commute in the morning and in the evening and you're sitting in traffic and that causes you to stress out a little bit or it builds the anxiety in your heart. Or perhaps it is a frustrating job situation. Like There is so much about your job that you would love to not wake up in the morning and have to go to work because every time you step into the toxic work environment that you're a part of, it just weighs you down. For others of us, it might be a dirty house. Or your children. And those two things were not mistakenly written right together. But they're often somewhat related. Maybe it's a relationship in your life that is on the rocks. Or it's not fulfilling you in the way that you anticipated it would. Maybe it's the uncertainty of your career in the future. The uncertainty of those around you. Maybe it is financial pressures that you're trying to figure out in your daily life, whatever it is, there are so many things in our life that we wrestle with and that oftentimes one after another, it's like dropping a little rock into a bucket and after time, it becomes like this bucket that weighs you down. And soon, stress turns into anxiety and then anxiety slowly turns into depression and then depression really begins to like affect how you operate from day to day. And so the goal of this series is to begin addressing this reality that probably all of us wrestle with at some level or another. And like Angela said, we are not promising that we eradicate stress from your life, but we want to begin to look at how God says we can begin to carry the weight of stress. I was reading a book a few days ago. And the author was describing this catastrophic event that happened in a community just outside of the city that he lived in. It was in West Virginia, and it was the collapse of what they call the Silver Bridge. The Silver Bridge was constructed in the 1920s, and then in 1967, during rush hour traffic, the bridge completely collapsed and killed 46 people. After the engineers who were evaluating what happened to the bridge. They had some time to sort of research what what had happened, and they said that the bridge had a stress fracture, and the stress fracture eventually led, led to the collapse of the bridge. And they concluded that the bridge was carrying more weight than it was ever constructed to carry. Because in the 1920s, there were lighter cars than some of the cars that were being built in later generations. And so the amount of mass that the bridge could support eventually caused it to cripple and to collapse, and it killed a bunch of people. I think that this perhaps is a picture of how some of us over the course of time have been carrying the weight of stress right, the weight of anxiety, how we've been dealing with all these problems, and we've become maybe tougher in the process, but the reality is that most of us were probably never intended, we were never built, we were never constructed to carry some of the stress that we're carrying in the way that we are. And so we're going to talk about that today, and the hope is that we would have some tools to begin addressing the stress in our life. Because it is God's hope. The Bible says that God's burden is light and His yoke is easy. That that was never intended for us to be in a relationship with God and being weighed down constantly by the worries of this world. And so, today we're going to look in the Old Testament. And we're going to be reading out of the largest book in the Old Testament. It is called the Psalms. And the Psalms are this, it's like this amazing book. It's like the Billboard's Top 100 of ancient Jewish culture. Okay, it is in a genre that's called poetic literature. And so you'll see that this, these chapters are really actually beautiful in the way that they're written. They're these wonderfully written poems and songs that oftentimes were played to some music. And if David existed in our own era, he would probably be compared to some of the best uh, rap artists and spoken word artists in our generation because he produced so many of these beautifully written artistic poems that we have for us collected in the book of Psalms. And David was the most revered king in all of Israel. And today we're going to read just the end portion of Psalm chapter 139. And this is a really interesting psalm because at the very beginning, really the heart of the entire psalm is David trying to communicate his perspective about who God is. And as he's doing that in the first 18 verses, he begins to like describe all of these unique attributes about God. He's talking about how knowledgeable God is and how complete he is. He talks about how God is everywhere. And ultimately, he sort of lands on this thought where he says, God, your love for me, is so vast. And up to this point, we might think, David, what a beautiful psalm you've written. But as you begin to read, I wonder if there's like a little bit of manipulation tied into what David is saying about God. Because as soon as he ends chapter, or verse 18 in Psalm chapter 139, there's like this shift of thought that happens. And this is where David brings up this issue that he's having with his enemies. And as he begins to talk about this issue and and how he has sort of like this hatred towards his enemies, he says, well, God, not only are they my enemies, but they're also your enemies. And since they're your enemies, that means that I should hate them. And because they're your enemies, I do, in fact, hate your enemies, God, and I want them to die. And you can almost sense that as like David is beginning to talk about this like he's starting to get more and more upset as he sort of works out the details of this thought and I I don't know if you've ever been uh, like driving on the road and you're thinking about something that's really frustrating to you and all of a sudden you realize that your foot is pushing a little bit harder on the gas pedal and you're going 90 miles down the freeway. I don't that no okay I'm the only one with anger issues But that happens, and I think that it was one of those things for David, right? Like, there are some things that happen in your heart and in your mind, and as much as you want to not think about how frustrating they are, it, like, keeps bubbling up out of you no matter what environment you're in. And so David is talking about these enemies, and he's starting to, like, build up this frustration to the point where he calls them wicked, and he says that he hates them. And I think justice is so funny, Right? Isn't it funny how we want justice for other people, but we don't like to have justice for ourselves? Have you ever seen someone speeding on the freeway, and then like a mile down the road you see that they got pulled over and you're like, yes, right? You're like, "Ah, justice, I love justice, right? We all know how that feels. We love seeing someone else get busted, but how horrible do you feel when you see lights and sirens following behind your car? What do you want? You don't want justice. You want grace, right? Come on, officer, give me a break. I've actually said that before to a police officer. I said, You're, that's a little strict, isn't it? I was driving two or three miles over the speed limit. But he said, it's not a suggestion. So I figured that out real quick. But this is where David's at, like in his heart. There is frustration building up. And I think it was one of those moments where David sort of lashes out in frustration and he says, I hate them. And then after he says it, he's like reflecting like he almost crossed a line in his own heart. And then he's struck with like this epiphany. And it hits him like a freight train. It's like that first time you look in the mirror and you realize that you're part of the problem. And this is what it was for David. He saw something in himself that perhaps he had never recognized before. He saw something inside of himself that caused him to pray this really fascinating prayer. And so we're going to read this together. And it's just two verses. And it's Psalm chapter 139, verse 23 and 24. And then we'll kind of come back to it and look at each statement by itself. But in verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This really is such a bold prayer on David's part. And what he does for us in this moment, he helps us to figure out a template in how we respond to those stressful truths in our lives those stressful and maybe anxious-filled scenarios in our life where we're feeling overwhelmed and maybe there's like this deep-seated frustration that we can't quite get out of our, our hearts and our minds. And he gives us a framework in how to approach that by this response. And so the first thing that we see David do is he invites God into the process. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is like the type of statement you make When you are living a lifestyle that you don't want to live, when you're behaving in a way that you don't want to behave, but for the life of you, you cannot identify what it is in yourself that is motivating that type of behavior, and this really is a dangerous Prayer on David's part because what he's doing is he's inviting God into his life to explore like the depths and to unearth these deep, dark parts of who he is as a person. And he's saying, God, show these things to me. Did you know that Google knows you better than you know yourself? Do you believe that? Like, I have, I don't know if this is like a conspiracy thing, but I feel like I will talk. I won't even type, but I'll talk about buying something, like I need a new pair of shoes or something like that. And then all of a sudden, like on my newsfeed in those little advertise sections, I'll see like little advertisements for new shoes and Foot Locker. And I'm like, did I type it? Was there any point that I typed it in my, how did, so if that's never happened to you, God bless you. I I may be faltering. I see a few people confirming that that is true. But Google knows you, I think, better than you know yourself. It knows your patterns of when you're on your computer. It knows what you're searching for. It knows what you're looking for. It knows the things that you're interested in. It knows the things that you're reading. And I think, how scary would it be to give someone full access to, like, the information that is on your phone? Does that, like, cause any anxiety on anyone's heart? Like, to think that someone would have complete access to your email account or someone would have access to all of your social media accounts and every message that you ever, you've ever written. Or someone would have access to all your text messages or your bank account or your pictures. I mean, whatever it is, imagine someone having complete and utter access to these like really private things. I have been in so many like conversations with my wife that I would not want anyone else to see arguments or whatever. Like you kind of like, you know, the short comments that you write and you have to erase after you write them you guys know what I'm talking about all right don't judge me you've all been there (laughs) but this is what David is doing to God he's saying God search my phone search my email account search my social media search my text messages search the deepest part of who I am and reveal to me God what is going on in my heart And I love this. And like this is the place where that type of healing begins in a stressful and anxious-filled environment because sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. And all of us have blind spots in our lives and it is not until that moment where we're willing to invite God into the process that healing begins to take place. And so the first thing that David does is he invites God into the process. The second thing is david challenges us to investigate your thinking to investigate your thinking he says test me and know my anxious thoughts and i love this because david isn't just positioning himself for evaluation But he takes it a step further and he begins to ask these more specific requests of God. Not just search my heart, oh God, but test me and know my anxious thoughts. And if you have ever asked for feedback, which is like the hardest thing to do, especially about something that you care about, I don't ask anyone for feedback on my messages, okay? Some people will give them to me, but I need to ask it more. Um, But it's really hard, right, to ask for feedback on things that you really, really care about. Because it means a lot. And so this is what David is doing. But you'll know, and whenever you get into the rhythm, I'm asking for feedback. The more specific of a question you ask, the better of a response you will get. And this is how we know that David is like working through a progression here where he really wants God to expose what is happening in his heart. He doesn't say, just search my heart, oh God. He says, test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Research suggests that if we think about something for long enough and often enough and hard enough, we can actually create these neural pathways in our brains that begin then to start affecting the way that we behave and impact sort of the rhythm of our lives. Like it actually begins to form these little grooves into our brain. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, You are what you think all day long. You know, so much of the anxious thinking that happens is a result of what we allow to come into our brains. There used to be this old saying that said, garbage in, garbage out. What you put in is what you are going to put out. If you're listening to Fox News or to CNN or to MSNBC, All day long, and that is constantly what you're consuming, you are probably going to be a more anxious-filled type of person. If you're reading blogs about people who are complaining about all these things wrong in our world, and yet they're doing nothing about it, it is likely that you are going to be a negative, stressful, quick-tempered, hopeless, prejudiced, judgmental, marginalizing type of person. So much of how we pour out of our life is determined by what we are allowing to flow in to our hearts and into our minds specifically. The type of information you allow for your brain and your thoughts to marinate on will influence the way that you see the world around you. And David understood how important it was to begin evaluating these anxious thoughts, these this ancient information, the value of identifying your thinking. The second thing, or the third thing he says, is identify the source. Identify the source. In verse 24, he says, Point out anything in me that offends you. Did you know that this whole process of even beginning to consider? where our anxiety comes from really begins at a central point. Because this only works if we're hoping to have a stress-less type of lifestyle. It is contingent upon the fact that we are living a life of integrity. Did you know that anxiety is oftentimes a result of a compromise of integrity? If you are living like a hypocrite, meaning that you are saying one thing is true in one environment and then in the other environment you are kind of living outside of what you declare to be true, you are going to live with anxiety in your heart. If you are hoping that your wife or your girlfriend or your husband or your boyfriend never checks your phone, it is going to be very difficult to live a life with less anxiety. Because anxiety and integrity are like distant cousins. They're tied to each other. And integrity really is all about being a whole person. That means that you are one person in one environment, and then in another environment, you are the same exact person. Maybe you you express yourself differently in certain environments, but at the core of who you are as a person, you are consistent, and you are whole in who you are. One of my greatest fears, I'll just share with you, one of my greatest fears as a pastor is that my kids will someday grow up to not want to be a part and love the church. That's one of my greatest fears, and it's a little bit different when you're a pastor's kid because you see your parents kind of working and, and being involved in the church, and sometimes what happens is that as a pastor, you feel like the expectation to talk a certain way and act a certain way and live a certain way in front of your community, and then when you get home, you become this completely different person, and I pray that my children's testimony when they grow up is that their dad and their mom were the same exact people at church that they were at home. That there was no difference in the way that they talked. They didn't cuss up a storm at home and act really nice at church to people. They weren't short with their kids and really sweet and, uh, and, and hospitable to everyone else. But that I am who I am here at church the same way that I am at home. And this is what David wanted to identify in his life. He said, God, get to the source of these anxious thoughts. Because he knew that if you could address the source of things, then you could really impact the iterations of what building a life on that truth or lie would be. If you've ever visited the Exploratorium in San Francisco, it's a really cool place I went there a number of years ago, and one of the exhibits was where you strap on these goggles, and they have like these really thick glass, I don't know if it's plastic or glass or what it is, but you strap them onto your head, and then they have you try to shoot a little ball into a basket. And when you put the glasses on, you can't really tell what the trick is, but when you're standing outside of the little exhibit, you, can, you start laughing at people because they're shooting the basketball, and it's like two to three feet to the left or to the right, right? Like it's way off. And really, that's what these glasses are intended to do. They distort your vision. They distort your ability to accurately see reality. And so they're like shooting and the ball goes off, and then you put them on and you're kind of laughing. You're like, why can't I make this? You feel like the ball's going all the way to the left. And these are like a picture, right? Of like what it means to be outside of God's plan is that oftentimes we can operate, right? We can function. Maybe there are people all over the world that don't have like this relationship with God or an intimate relationship with God, and they function. Not only do they function, but they can do very, very well in life. But what happens is that it's like you begin to walk with a slight little limp that you don't even know is there, and then throughout the course of your life, the limp becomes more and more protruded, and then someone sort of sees you, and they tell you that you're walking with a limp, and it's like there's... That limp is tied to like some deeper truth in your body. And what David is trying to do is he's trying to get to the source so that he can begin to see the world as it really is through God's eyes. And I love that not once in this entire process does David pray for God to take away the anxiety or to take away the fear or to take away Uh, any of those things but what he does is all he asks is for God to show him because at the end of the day if we don't understand what is happening in here no matter how many times God takes it away it's like a process it's a learning process on our end for God to help reveal to us what is off and finally David says I will follow He says, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. For David, this response wasn't just to get over some little thing that happened. He said it. He made a mistake. But David really wanted to, for this point, to be the beginning of a brand new lifestyle for him. He didn't want to just get over it. But in fact, he asked God, lead me in the way of everlasting life. Let me follow you. I love, love this prayer. I love David's transparency and his honesty with himself. And the fact that he could go to God in this moment was a testament to a discipline that he had developed throughout the course of his life. And that was the discipline of being in constant communication with God. In this community, we call that prayer. And so today I want to give a few tips And how we can better understand and how we can develop this discipline in our life. And I realize that with a community like ours, there are a number of people that really don't even know where to begin when we begin to talk and talk about prayer. And so uh, we have a short little video that I want to show you that is really going to help us understand that if that's where you are in the season, you are not alone. That is actually a thing that most of us experience. Uh, at some point throughout the course of our spiritual journey. So let's go ahead and play this video.
1: I remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church, and I walk in, and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know. You want me to to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't going to do that. Right, then they explained to me, right, your neighbor is a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't not, I didn't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone with this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't, know to, I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first. She was praying all good, and she must have been John the Baptist's little sister or something. Pray. She was like, Dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter, the third, third verse of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. (laughs) Lord, you said, but seek. S is in search. E is in everywhere. E is in excellent. K is in kingdom. You are the Alpha, Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. I'm thinking, man, she even knows his nicknames. Now, it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just, but I'm not gonna let her out-pray me. So I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people. You know, you are good, Lord, you are good. You are good to the last drop, Lord. Because, um, Lord, I, I just gotta obey my thirst, Lord. You know, because choosing moms choose Jesus. So, Lord, because... No, as the, rec- as the rocket's red glare, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I could fly, amen. All right. All right. So that is
0: awesome. <laughs> but sometimes that's. How we feel about prayer because it can be kind of a mysterious thing. And so this morning I want to just give you a few little tips and guidelines on how to develop a discipline of prayer and and really. This is what we refer to as a spiritual discipline in the same way that you would like go to the gym and begin to like develop the muscles that you have and build them up. This is the same thing that you do when it comes to some of these spiritual disciplines. And the goal of every spiritual discipline is really to position ourselves to take advantage of the resource that God has given us through the Holy Spirit and, uh, and through His Son, and so uh, these things really help us to do that. And so the first little tip that I want to give you when it comes to developing a discipline of prayer is to be faithful. To be faithful or, in another way of saying it, is to be consistent. And it really is to set up a time in your calendar on a regular basis that you devote to this time with God. And I know that as you begin to enter into this discipline, it may feel awkward and a little weird. And I don't know if you've ever, like, tried to dance, and maybe you didn't grow up dancing. And so the first time you start, like, trying to move to the rhythm of a song, it feels really awkward, right? That's a little bit how it may feel to pray for the first time. And, you know, to close your eyes and to begin talking to God, it may feel awkward, but that's okay. That's part of how it goes. But the thing is to just be faithful to the practice. And maybe you set out a personal goal that for 30 days I'm going to pray in the morning when I get up for five minutes. And so that's the first goal is just to be faithful to pray on a regular and consistent basis. The second thing is to be specific, to be specific. Oftentimes people will think God never answered my prayer, but a lot of times the reason why people feel that God never answered their prayer was because they prayed such broad prayer requests that they wouldn't even know if God had answered them in the first place. So let me give you a few examples of a broad prayer request. A broad prayer sounds like, God, help us to have a good day. That's not a bad prayer, but it is a broad prayer. And so if we are wanting to develop like this spiritual sensitivity to God speaking into our life, we want to be specific. Another broad prayer is, God, give us grace. Again, it's a good prayer, but it is also a broad prayer. Finally, God, bless us. Great prayer. We want that. I pray that occasionally for you, but it's very broad. A more specific prayer Would be, God, I pray that you would heal my family member from drug addiction in this next year. That's a more specific prayer request. And one of the beauties about becoming specific about your prayer request is like multifaceted. First, it really helps you to engage your mind as you are spending time with God because you're thinking about real things in your life. Secondly, it allows for you to be transparent and honest with God. That is one of the greatest benefits of being specific in your prayer is that you are coming to God with real-life needs that you have, not these generic things, not these over-articulated prayer requests, but you are simply coming to God with the struggles in your life, and you're bringing them before him and allowing for him have the opportunity to intercede on your behalf. And third is to be ready, to simply be ready. It has always been a struggle of mine to enter into that time of prayer and communication with God with a lot of confidence, but I've been challenged over the course of the last few years to really begin Walking into that moment, entering into that moment with God with a lot of confidence and asking with great faith and believing that God hears my prayers and that He will respond, that God will answer me. Now, it may not always be the way that I hope He would answer me, but knowing that what I'm putting before God, He hears and He, has, he is at work on. I love the way that Mother Teresa describes prayer. She says, prayer is not asking, prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at His disposition and listening to His voice in the depths of our hearts. That is prayer. And so over the next few weeks, we want to challenge you to begin developing this pattern of prayer. And as it pertains to the specific series that we're talking about, I want to throw this verse out to you. And to hopefully allow for it to be like this weight that you carry, this anchor in your mind as you pray over the course of the next week. I want this truth to be a part of that conversation. And the truth is in First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Peter says, give all of your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. I hope that none of us would ever leave this space without the deep convicting truth that there is a God in our world that created the universe that is miraculous in so many ways and he is great but he is also a personal God that loves you and longs to meet every single one of us in that space where perhaps we have lost hope. He wants to meet every single one of us in that space where we have lost our ambition. He wants to meet every single one of us in that space where perhaps we're in a season where we feel confused about who we are. And instead of us Walking through life, season after season, carrying all these weights of burden day by day. We have a God who says, take your burdens, take your stress, take your worries, take your fears, take your anxieties and cast them to me. That's why I came. Not so that you could carry it all but so that you could learn how to give them to me and to watch me work in a way that you couldn't possibly reproduce. To allow for me to do things in your life that you couldn't work for thousands of years to produce. Simply give them to me. Cast your cares and your worries on me. So that's the goal. As you begin to develop this discipline in your life, Let that one truth in that process taint the way that you come to God. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, to bridge that gap between where we were and where you wanted us to be, which was right next to you. God, I thank you that you have given us this lifeline of prayer that at any moment, at any part of our day, at any part of our week, God, you have said you have access to me. You have given us access to you through prayer. And I thank you for this template that David sent, that David recorded in a moment of frustration where he used you as this lifeline. In a moment when he couldn't himself identify what The thing was in his heart that was slightly off. He said, God, come into this space. Help me to see in myself what I can't see. God, I pray today that that would be the prayer for some of us in the room. And I don't know everyone's story. We all walk into this space with different weights. But God, would you begin to show us how to give them to you? how to identify them in our lives and then to say no more. This is the last day, this is the last month that that lie or that truth will be a part of how I operate. God, thank you for loving us so tenderly and so faithfully. I pray that today would begin the journey of prayer for so many lives in this room. God, we thank you for all you do in your son's precious name. Amen.